Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоню наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которая очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег, могущество Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
Second Chronicles chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. Then God said to Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, you have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. We know from Scripture that in Gibeon there was the main altar up in which Solomon, searching for God in his wisdom, had um, raised up a thousand offerings, and God turned him with a question. 
ask what you shall be given. In doing this, God gives Solomon a decision to test him. Will he remain faithful in fulfilling his will or not? The thing is that the fulfillment of the will of God for Solomon was expressed in his calling as a king. And in order to fulfill this calling, Solomon had to have the wisdom of God. As kings and priests unto God, we, like Solomon, are constantly before the need to fulfill the calling of kings through our thinking, renewed by the spirit of our mind, and the calling of a priest who meets the requirements for worship to God. This means that we stand before the need to daily make the decision from which will depend how successful and faithful we will fulfill our calling as kings and priests in our dominion over the capabilities of our soul that lives in our body and of course over our body itself a thousand is a number that symbolizes humility that flows out of a meek heart that calls the favor of God upon itself in receiving the necessary grace for the fulfillment of our calling. Symbolically, the thousand offerings that Solomon had offered had brought the mercy of God upon themselves. To affirm that a thousand is a symbol of the mercy of God that is stretched out throughout a whole life going from one generation to another, beginning from the creation of the earth and ending at, at the end. And this is given for a thousand generations. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the Father upon the children. Not just a thousand offerings that had to be brought. Here it was necessary to affirm the mercy of God keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We know that this is the law that had passed on to the law of grace. The thing is, is that in the law of grace there was a correction that God, in this mercy, does not punish his children for the sin that was done by their fathers, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, because we are given the promise to be rid of the sinful life of our fathers, to die to our household. That's why Christ had said to his disciples when they had said, let us first bury our parents. He said, let the dead bury the dead and follow after me. From this it follows that in the new covenant we are given the promise the God keeps mercy for thousands and does not impute sin to man which he had received in the seed of his fathers. The example of Solomon 
does not say that to receive mercy we need to pray a thousand times, but this example points to the quality of the humility of our prayer expressed in what goal we pursue in prayer, the fulfillment of the will of God in reigning over our essence or the fulfillment of our personal desires. Our strive to fulfill the will of God always expresses humility, and our strive to, to fulfill our desires for the promises of God always expresses ignorance, covetousness, and pride. One and the same action can be looked at God differently. Everything will depend on the goal that we pursue by doing this action. If we, like Abel, in service to God in tithes and offerings, will search for the fulfillment of the will of God that is comprised of adopt our bodies to the redemption of Christ, God will look upon us, He will have mercy upon us, and will pour upon us His goodness and His mercy. If we, like Cain, in worship to God in tithes and offerings, will search for the fulfillment of our own desires in which to our material values, waiting for God to pour out His blessings upon us abundantly, God is going to reject us and our offering. And let us remember that by searching for knowledge of the will of God and honoring of God's tithes and offerings, we always affirm before the face of God our sonship. We ourselves are holy unto the Lord or His and when we honor God according to His decrees, when we honor Him with tithes and offerings, in doing so, we affirm, we say, Lord, I am your tithe. A person who has accepted salvation in God, but who does not honor God with tithes and offerings, and who does not search for knowledge of God in tithes and offerings, he loses his sonship as well as his salvation. Unfortunately, many so-called churches, divisions in which lacks honor of God and tithes and offerings according to the decrees of God. I know that many American churches, they do act when there is their offerings. Usually they have one text that is um, put on the screen, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so my house can have food. It's not explained, it's just a simple place of scripture is offered. Nothing is explained that in doing so, we affirm that we are a tithes. And that place of scripture also says, I will pour upon the blessings abundantly. And because this is explained to them, when they offer tithes, they wait for material prosperity. And this kind of offering challenges God. When a person tries to use the principles of faith in order to become materially rich, this is wrong. We have noted many times that God builds relationships with men and how much money he can have to feed himself and to, to, to live. Some he gives more, others he gives less. Sometimes we say, Lord, we take a look. 
I don't serve you like this person. I'm more dedicated. I pray more. I have holiness. This person doesn't have this. Yet you have blessed him. How, from where did you get that God has blessed him? From where have you gotten that? that if a person has material riches, that this is God who has blessed him. God can allow these riches that many saints who are materially successful, they are oftentimes blessed not by God, but by devil, in order to bring them to 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 a pit we should never go based off of whether or not things in our pockets are good or bad we should always be based on how faithful we are fulfilling the commandments of god when we honor god in tithes and offerings we must observe are we searching for fulfillment of his will his power so that he can give us the opportunity to acknowledge his will how to adopt our bodies in the redemption of christ how to prepare ourselves for rapture by being content content in what we have we will be thankful for thankful to god but those whom god has given more you must understand that god is going to have a, a specific relationship with them because people who are blessed with lots of material means they are in greater danger than those who are given little because god has given to them so that they can use it for the building of his kingdom so that they can other honor him. He observes how one acts and how the other acts. In scripture, it's said, where is God? You see, we do not honor God with tithes and offerings and we receive material blessings. When a person does not honor God with tithes and offerings or he unfaithfully honors God and when he is blessed materially, this means that God has placed this person on a slippery path and he, like on a snowy hill, is headed toward hell. When he was buried, uh, a rich man was buried. He was buried like a king. They said that he had done such good works. He invited people to himself. He had feasts. But Lazarus, who had nothing, he had very little, he did not invite him. He was not invited by him, and he had to eat crumbs. Of course, this is this is a parable. Lazarus wanted to eat of the crumbs, meaning fellowship for us. Fellowship with one another is important, and there are people who who cherish this fellowship, but there are those who use this fellowship incorrectly. As like I said, they invite only those people who have some kind of glory, some kind of honor, they can have get something from them, but they never invite those people who don't have this prosperity, this success, this gifts. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't invite one over the other. You must invite both. I'm just giving you advice according to the mercy of God. When you invite those who you like, invite at least a few people who you perhaps don't like. 
who are in need in this fellowship. You don't even know how God is going to bless you after this because people are going to begin to bless you. Those who were at your house, they are already full. They say, yes, thank you, brother. But they won't sing out to God and say, Lord, I thank you that today I was invited or I am going to be invited. But this person, he is going to go, he is going to then go to God and he is going to rejoice in this fellowship and he's going to say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I have found mercy in the eyes of my brothers, my sisters. We're going to honor God in tithes and offerings. And in doing so, we are going to present argument, evidence to God that we are His tithes and His hallow. Let us stand together. This is our hour when we can express our love toward God and acknowledge His authority. Worship without honoring God with tithes and offerings is incorrect. God does not accept this kind of worship. When you go into my house, the Lord says, fill your hands with that which I have blessed you with and do not come into my house empty-handed. This doesn't mean fulfill your hands with voluntary offerings, but tithes, tithes and offerings that are going to be a voluntary act that you are going to give in joy and honor God. And therefore, let us sing together and honor God. And each time Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings, either in the Temple of Solomon or in the Tabernacle of Moses, they were called to, according to the words of Moses that he had received as a revelation from God, they were called to raise their hands on their offerings and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tithe to the same root, drinking from the same tree will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands, a symbol of your righteous act. Please raise it over your offerings and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my household and brought them into your household so that your home may have food. I do not give imperially I do not give in sorrow and do not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
растирая руки и глотаю слезы порой. Каждый день я томлюсь в разлуке, небеса искупите благой. На меня ничего не надо, на земле, где слово и кровь, ни больших городов, ни влага, не найду на земле
And so those who have a Bible, you can open along with me one of the familiar places of Scripture, of Holy Scripture, that contains the mystery of the relationship and our calling between God and man. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Return to the Ancient Path of Goodness, and you will find rest for your souls. Uh, we know that the law of Moses was not called for people to find rest, their souls rest in God because this was the power of sin. The law of Moses, as it is written, is the power of sin. There was another law that had destroyed this power of sin. This is the ancient path of goodness. And as far as we know, the opportunity to find or return to the ancient path of goodness is the opportunity to enter the kingdom of heaven through the narrow gates, which in scriptures are called the elementary principles, that is, the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. This, in fact, is the bond of all truths that flow from one another and verify the authenticity of one another, in the dignity of which we can be clothed in only through discipleship that we demonstrate by hearing the preached word about the nature and powers of the kingdom of heaven. The essence of the kingdom of heaven itself, which Christ called the kingdom gospel, is characterized in Christ's reigning teaching by such unearthly qualities as as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Speaking of these three qualities which characterize the kingdom of heaven within man, we must remember that this passage of Scripture is not telling us to obtain these qualities, but to proclaim and demonstrate them. You are the light of the world, said Christ. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. So Christ says here that you must show this, this kingdom. Show it in the works of light. This tells us that in order to obtain the kingdom of heaven in the form of these three qualities, which have no analogs in any dictionary in the world, we must first find it. And therefore, to search for the kingdom of heaven as the ancient path of goodness should be done through the fruit of righteousness, peace, and joy which abide in the depths of the Holy Spirit. And as we have previously noted, very few are able to find the ancient path of goodness in the subject of narrow gates in the reigning teaching of Christ. Only the chosen are able to find it, the small flock, because this, according to the repeated statements of Christ, means that many who, due to their own cruelty and ignorance, will not be able to find the narrow gates in the reigning teaching of Christ. They will begin to approach it as a heretical error, as a result of which they will inherit eternal perdition. But those who humble their heart before God and become his disciple in order to enter into the narrow gates expressed in the reading teaching of Jesus Christ will inherit eternal life. 
Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Unfortunately, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. While studying the ancient path of goodness, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul, who, according to the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in short and concise definitions, was able to formulate the order that is present in the teaching of Christ. This is the image of the four rivers flowing from Eden for the irrigation of the garden, which are the prototype of the four main main teachings of Christ, each of which has a triplicity of different functions which total 12. The number 12 in Scripture is the image and standard of the 12 hours in a day, yielding the order of the kingdom of heaven and the 12 gates of the new Jerusalem and the 12 foundations of its wall. A new version of the translation or more correct one, Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 2. Therefore, sprinkle yourselves with the elementary principles of Christ and being clothed in it like in the armor of life, let us hold ourselves to the house of God, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and the faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Here are these four teachings that we are talking about, we see here. In a certain form, and as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already studied the doctrine of baptisms, which expresses itself in baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire. And we have stopped to study the doctrine of laying on of hands that is presented on the southern side of New Jerusalem in three gates. This is the image, or the three southern gates representing the doctrine of laying on the hands, is an image of the powers that are contained on the southern side of the sanctuary, on which stood a golden lamp symbolizing the mind of Christ and the reborn spirit, thanks to which a holy person can penetrate the thoughts of God and keep a covenant made with God. For our mind to cooperate with the mind of Christ so that we can inherit the kingdom of heaven and the subject of narrow gates, we need the powers that are contained in the covenant of this is possible under the condition that each side of the covenant fulfills their obligations that are outlined by God in this covenant. Therefore, discovering narrow gates is directly tied to discovering our obligations in our covenant with God. Given the fact the covenant of man with God and God with man consists of three baptisms, it follows that in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, the doctrine of laying on of hands contains three ascending degrees of a covenant with God. This is the covenant of blood, covenant of salt, and the covenant of rest. The covenant of blood is called to sanctify us and give God the opportunity to write the name that we are given by Him in the book of life, so that this name could serve as a seal of righteousness before God. Because a seal of righteousness that we acquire upon making a covenant of blood and water baptism is a new name given by God to a new creation 
which contains our divine fate in God and the subject of our calling. The covenant of salt is called to give us the opportunity to hallow God in our bodies and souls, which are essentially God's. And we can make this kind of covenant only in baptism in the Holy Spirit. The covenant of rest is called to demonstrate the results of the holiness we carry in our bodies and souls. We can make this covenant only in fire baptism. Doing so will allow us to enter God's rest expressed in the Sabbath of the eternal day. The doctrine of laying on of hands, as we've noted, is a doctrine about a covenant made between God and man and man and God. The act expressed in the laying on of hands is an image of the legal aspect in which a person with his own hand signs an agreement with God in which he consciously promises to serve God with a good conscience. Making this kind of contract in all three levels will always be tied to the presentation of our body as a living holy and pleasing sacrifice to God for reasonable service. That is why any sacrifice brought to God was called to be brought only when a hand was laid on its head. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 4. The atonement for sin through the laying on of the hand on the head of the sacrifice which in the face of the Son of Man takes sin upon itself is accepting justification in which God does not impute sin to man. This is the exchange of faiths, where he gives us his purity, his relations with God, and on him, upon him he takes our sin and retribution, the anger of God that was supposed to be poured out on us, he takes it all upon himself. The doctrine of laying on of hands is an image of proclaiming the faith of our heart and that Jesus is Lord and that God has erected him for our justification. Romans 10, 9-10 That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The doctrine of laying on of hands outside of the norms of the covenant and not according to the norms of the covenant will not gain favor in the atonement for sins. Therefore, according to Scripture about the doctrine of laying on of hands, we have three levels of a covenant that pursue one goal but fulfill three different functions. In a certain format, we have already studied the covenant of blood and have stopped to study the second level of a covenant. This is the covenant of salt, which is the fifth foundation of New Jerusalem and is made of the precious Sardonic stone. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, the fifth Sardonic. Revelation 21.20 Sardonyx is a kind, is a special kind of oni. It was on the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, and therefore, when it came to the powers of Sardonyx, then God, through Urim and Thummim, used the functions and voice of salt. And therefore, the functions of the fifth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem are in the powers contained in the covenant of salt, in relation to which Jesus once said these words. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Matthew 5.13 The phrase, you are the salt of the earth, means you have stepped into the covenant of salt with me, in which you promise to be representative of the powers that are contained in the covenant of salt. Therefore, in representing my covenant of salt, which you entered in with me upon offering a sacrifice, you carry full responsibility for filling 
the obligations you took upon yourself. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by a sacrifice, that the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. They will proclaim righteousness or declare his righteousness means they will declare his judgment. In scripture, any covenant that God made with man always included a sacrifice that pointed to the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled, testifying of his death, which in the reigning teaching of Christ meant that any covenant that God made with a person was made in baptism, which always pointed to the presence of the sacrificial death of Christ. And as we had previously mentioned, if making a covenant of blood was called to occur in water baptism, then making a covenant of salt can occur only in baptism in the Holy Spirit, which, upon our collaboration with the Holy Spirit, was called to separate us from the vain life of our fathers, so that in this manner we can sanctify God in our bodies and souls. Until we are separated from the vain life of our fathers, we will be unable to hallow God in our bodies and our souls. The covenant of salt as an agreement can lose its power only in one case. If one of the sides of the agreement does not understand its powers, or on the contrary, the powers of the covenant are understood, but this side refuses to fulfill its obligations. Because the words that have come from the mouth of God and bound God to fulfill his role in the covenant of salt are unquestioning and unchanging. Because of which, in his oath spoken in a covenant with man, God can never violate the obligations that he takes upon himself. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever in his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Psalms 89 verses 34 through 37. There exists plenty of other places that talk about the unchanging word of God. To fully understand the essence of the precious Sardonic stone that represents and contains the powers of the covenant of salt, we, like in the previous foundations, looked at the name of the apostle that was engraved on this fifth precious foundation or fifth precious stone, because the name of the apostle will yield the dignity and nature of Sardonyx, which in this foundation will represent the powers of the covenant of salt. The name of the apostle that was engraved on the fifth foundation of the wall of the heavenly Jerusalem was the name Philip. Matthew 10, 2. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip. Fifth is Philip. Philip means a lover of horses. In other words, the meaning of this name reveals a special love of God toward horses, which surpasses our mind and is engraved on the fifth foundation of heavenly Jerusalem. God's love for horses that is incomprehensible to our mind is the meaningful and voluntary dependence of God on horses, because true love is always a dependency that forces one to serve, to devote, and to dissolve in one's beloved. 
We've noted that in the meaning of the name Philip, we are referring to God's love that is only toward those horses that are his belonging and are sent by him to sanctify him and represent the interests of his holiness. Because in scripture, salt is a metaphor of the Holy Spirit in which he demonstrates the holiness of God. The powers of the covenant of salt are always the powers of the Holy Spirit, whereas the covenant of salt itself is an agreement about the cooperation of man's holiness with the holiness of God, because of which the powers of the covenant of salt in its fifth foundation are expressed in the functions of a horse that is God's belonging. A horse, we can define that a horse is a symbol of battle in scripture. Therefore, in the fifth foundation, the purpose of a battle horse is called to lead the battles of God, because to hallow God means to honor him and demonstrate his holiness. Proverbs 21:31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. Thus the name Philip that is on the fifth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, made of sardonic stone, means the calling to praise God in our bodies and soul, a kind of format that will honor and hallow God on the basis of the requirements that are contained in the powers of the covenant of the salt in which God reveals the nature of his holiness, the principles of which are called to protect us from the anger of God, the wicked and the decay of the flesh. Thus, the doctrine of the covenant of salt is a doctrine about the powers contained in God's holiness, whereas the doctrine about the holiness of God is a teaching about the powers contained in the covenant of salt. Like we did when studying the previous foundations of the walls of heavenly Jerusalem, I will mention several significant components that will be an opportunity to realize the faithful promises that we can accept only on the conditions outlined in the covenant of salt. Considering that making a covenant of salt is only possible when we cooperate with the powers contained in baptism of the Holy Spirit, it follows that flesh and blood cannot use the promises contained in the covenant of salt for their own interests. John 6.63 It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. These are the words of Christ. According to this passage, the flesh cannot use the words that are spirit and life. Why? Because first, the promises contained in the powers of the covenant of salt are imperishable because they are not for flesh but for the spirit. And second, the flesh cannot comprehend them because these words that define the contents of an imperishable inheritance are found beyond the limits of the rational capabilities of man. And so, when studying the powers contained in the covenant of salt, the first thing I would like to pay attention to is the nature of the seal of God which man is sealed with when he makes a covenant of salt in baptism in the Holy Spirit. This means a firm, a solid foundation of God having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19-21 Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, these, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. 
The first thing worth paying attention to is that the seal of righteousness that we obtain when making a covenant of salt and baptism in the Holy Spirit is the definition of the righteousness and blamelessness of the new man who became a vessel of honor. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19-22 Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice, the situation of the city is pleasant. Jericho, meaning the city of palm trees, the city of righteousness, because palm trees are a symbol of righteousness. And so they say to Elisha, The situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus is the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elijah, which he spoke. So a new covenant for the new man in a new bowl. Says, Give me a new bowl. And then the righteousness that was in you from the law and the water was tarnished and barren because the law is the power of sin and no one will be justified by his works. Man cannot justify himself by his works because justification is a gift of God that we receive as a gift of grace and the redemption of Jesus Christ and is given to the new man and is made with the new man. However, the difference between the seal of righteousness that we receive when making a covenant of blood with God and water baptism and the seal of righteousness that we receive when making a covenant of salt and baptism in the Holy Spirit is this. The seal of righteousness and water baptism gives us a new name that is written in the book of life. The name of this seal is Holy unto the Lord, belonging to God. Anyone not found or not found written in the book of life will cast, was cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 2015, or as a seal of righteousness and baptism in the Holy Spirit with the name the Lord knows those who are His, gives us the power, thanks to which we gain the authority and ability to practice righteousness. And the works of this righteousness are engraved in the book of works, works which significantly differs from the book of life, both in its format and its purpose. So, when you make a covenant of salt, you begin to practice works of righteousness. And then, these works of righteousness are placed in the book of, uh, the book of works, which differs from the book of life. Revelation 20:12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. Apostle Paul, Talking about this, talking about this day, talking about this seal, and what will happen after this seal when we had entered into a covenant of salt. Where these works of righteousness are written in the book of life, said this, 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6, but with me it is a very small thing that it should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes 
that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Because it's God who writes these works and he appraises them. And let's let God appraise. Let's not prematurely appraise situations ourselves. He says, Apostle Paul says, we're not based on what you think of us and what others do. And we also don't judge ourselves because our works are written in the book of works and God is going to judge. He then will, uh, will appraise these works. So the book of works does not determine our eternal life. Uh, our eternal life depends on the book of the book of life. In the book of works, we will receive a reward for those good works that we had done. Revelation 14, 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. This is in relation to those people who have already died to sin and who in this world have already again been died to sin, although they are living in their bodies. And here it says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, because there are people who are alive to sin and they die. But a living person to sin, he cannot die in the Lord. If he is alive to sin, he dies in sin, although he might be buried as if he is Christian. And they say what kind of a good person he was because typically it's, it's forbidden to say anything negative at funerals and you have to say that he is headed to the kingdom of heaven as not to scare everyone else who goes to this funeral. Because if you say he was a Christian all his life, but he did not go where he was supposed to go, then all of those who would be present would be scared and not, to not scare everybody. A lot of people, they, um, they say he goes to heaven, but only those who have been dead to sin and have been alive to God will live from now on. According to our initial text, the seal of righteousness on which the word the Lord knows those who are his are engraved is a solid foundation that refers to a person who, before building himself into the house of God, dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. For after a person makes a covenant in baptism in water, only then can he begin to build. And when he has made a covenant of blood, he has not yet built anything. He was given righteousness as a deposit. Now he must place it into circulation. He must build something out of this righteousness. Luke chapter 6, verses 47 to 49, Jesus says these words, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood, flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. 
Here's presented a person who made a covenant with God and he knew what was contained in it. And the foundation of this covenant, he began to hallow God to practice the works of righteousness because only a righteous man can practice righteousness. I had grown up in these kinds of uh, Protestant churches and I know very well what I was taught at a young age and what was present in a lot of other churches. What was taught was to be righteous, you have to do good works. This was against Scripture. Scripture says that only he who is holy can be sanctified and only he who is holy can be righteous. Therefore, everyone said, no one dared to call themselves righteous or holy. They only said, well, we're simply just striving for this. But they never dared to call themselves that. They thought it was unbelievable to call themselves that. A question was asked, can a dove, can a dove bring a kind of egg that would bear a snake? They said, well, what do you mean? They asked me, I asked, can God give birth to children who are, sin who are sinners, who are not holy? If God gives birth to you, you on your end affirm that you are born of God, and at the same time you affirm that you are not yet holy, that you were holy only for two hours, and then you had lied, then you had screamed out, gone angry, and had fallen, and are no longer holy. You can fall as many times as, as you need, you will not be, you will still remain holy. Holy people fall in sin, but they get right back up, they remain righteous. Righteousness isn't earned. People are born again righteous. A person may fall seven times, but he remains righteous. And John says, My children, I write to you so that you do not sin. However, those who do sin, you, are not, you do not lose the right to be called his children. He said, Even if you do, if you have sinned, we have an intercessor, intercessor Jesus Christ, who has taken upon himself all of our sins. When he dies for the sins of the earth, when he loves the whole world, we're talking about that he directs his love toward this world. And if anyone answers to this kind of love, and he uses this love. But he who does not answer to this kind of love, he, does, he can't use it. And therefore, because he has rejected this love and does not, has not used this love, he will inherit perdition. You don't need to lie to people saying that God loves everyone. You, no, there's no such thing as God loves you just the way you are. God offers his love to this world in order to call out those who are his from this world. And those who are his are those who will hear, who will listen, who will hear, and who will fulfill what they have heard. Second, the covenant of salt is a specific statute that builds a hierarchical Order, order of the kingdom of heaven in the heart of a person. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 20-24. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or whenever you turn to the left, so whenever you turn to the right or the left, you will hear the voice of teachers behind you. They will tell you. They will talk to you behind you. And we already know that when we're talking about behind us, these teachers will turn you to return to the ancient path of goodness. 
Что ты сейчас So your oxen and the young donkeys will eat the work of the ground, which has been windowed with the shovel and fan. So I'll remind you that teachers are people to whom, in the Holy Spirit, the authority and powers of the Christ are delegated. The words of these teachers that we will hear behind us turn us to the ancient path of goodness that is called to bring us to rest. Cured fodder, which has been widowed with a, uh, with a shovel and fan, is the ancient teaching that leads us to the rest that is found in the Sabbath of the Kingdom of Heaven. The ox and the young donkeys that work our ground and eat your fire that has been winnowed with a shovel and fan is the category of people that is clothed in the dignity of disciples who abide in the covenant of self which they made in baptism in the Holy Spirit. The oxen are castrated bulls that represent the image of total dedication in our essence. When a person dedicates himself, he dies to everything. Um, oxen ca or castrated bulls, they can't continue their lineage. They have died to the genetic lineage of their fathers. They are dedicated to work. Usually these castrated bulls work really well. Uncastrated bulls, um, as soon as he... As soon as he feels the nearness of a, um, of a female, they want to reproduce. Whereas young donkeys represent the image of peace and reconciliation between us and God in our essence. We are only talking about those young donkeys whom no one has ever sat on. Christ will return on the symbol of or on a horse, which is a symbol of the battle. And again, we're talking about young donkeys on whom no one has ever sat on. A donkey that has already been ridden, they will not eat the cured fodder. Bring to me this kind of donkey that no one has, not, no one has sat on yet. This is talking about salt. The hierarchical order of the kingdom of heaven is called to abide in a person only on the conditions of the covenant of salt. John chapter 20, verses 21 to 23. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This place of scripture is like a sharp sword that destroys those who don't want to acknowledge this kind of dependency on people who have been established by God, that it is they who will forgive their sins. In this case, the words of Jesus addressed to his disciples, Peace to you, carried a mandate to represent the order of the Heavenly Father and his order in the territory of the kingdom of heaven, 
that is contained in the sovereign institutes of theocracy. Opponents of theocracy replace this order with concepts of totalitarianism. However, both can be easily distinguished from one another. The term theocracy refers to relationships that are built on the authority of divine agape love, whereas the term totalitarianism refers to relationships that are built on self-interest, selfishness, and arrogance. Therefore, the theocratical order refers to relationships of saints with one another that will voluntarily acknowledge the hierarchical subordination that is established in the body of Christ. While the regime of uh, totalitarianism is an open terrorist dictatorship of uh, the bourgeois, fascism or communism, which was bo borrowed from the religious inquisition, this is complete and total control on the part of the state authorities over all spheres of society with the actual elimination of constitutional freedoms and rights. Whereas the order of theocracy in the subject of the commandments of the Lord is established on the sovereign freedoms and rights of each person. This order is not imposed, but rather proposed as a choice. Deuteronomy 30.11-20 For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off, but the wood is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. Do you see what the structure of theocracy is based on? The structure of theocracy is not a regime of totalitarianism. But those who are against theocracy will attribute it they will call it a regime because they think that they won't be able to do what they want in this kind of order because they're Democrats. Who are Democrats, truly? They are hooligans who say the minorities must control everything and for minorities they must they must change the laws. If half a percent are homosexuals, then the whole majority must create a law so that they can be equal to everyone. This will never happen. God said he will not have, you know, he will not. Homosexuals, in his word, he said to stole them. You think God in the Old Testament has changed the New Testament and began to accept them? He loves them when they leave their sin, but when they do not leave their sin, he despises sin. And because they don't leave the sin, then this anger falls upon them because they're not leaving the sin. They don't accept God's love. They say, no, Lord, love me just the way I am. Love me as an adulterer, love me as a thief, love me as one who is envious. No, he offers his covenant. He takes this upon himself and he said, you must be freed from this. All right, third, the covenant of salt is a statute that yields the order of every offering in which we demonstrate holiness before God that is expressed in our complete separation from both the occurrence of sin and sin as a whole. 
Leviticus chapter 2 verse 13 and every offering of your green offering you shall season with salt you shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering salt that seasoned every offering offered to God is a sign that this offering in the eyes of God is holy and pleasing salt is an image of holiness just as natural salt stops decay and decomposition in products supernatural salt stops and destroys in man the presence and effect of sin. Every offering is an image of every prayer. If a prayer is brought up to God not according to the statute presented in the covenant of salt, then this prayer does not contain the element of salt that is expressed in holiness. And consequently, this prayer expresses resistance to God and on one hand provokes God's wrath, and on the other hand allows the destructive work of the devil to invade the life of this person. Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 23 through 24. When you have finished cleansing it, you shall offer a young bull without blemish and a ram from the flock without blemish. When you offer them before the Lord and priests shall throw salt on them, they will offer them as a burnt offering to the Lord. Have you paid attention? Some people, they don't understand what this means. Um, they think that salt affects, um, has an effect on evil spirits. Salt destroys the power of devil. So there's a sumo, there's a kind of sport, sumo wrestlers, where large people, um, large people, they begin to push one another out of a circle. Why am I mentioning this? Before they do this, each of them, comes, they take salt, and they throw salt, and they say something at this time. They rub their hands with it, and then they throw it in the air. I asked, what is this? They said, they are casting out evil spirits because they are afraid that... Um, that the evil spirits will prevent them from winning so they use salt because some reason they've been told from somewhere that salt destroys the power of devil it, it, it can't do this Fourth, the covenant of salt contains the conditions for a person to accept holiness in his heart, which will allow him to discover and enter the narrow gates through which he can accept the kingdom of heaven. Mark chapter 9, verse 49, for everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Fire, which according to the words of Christ was called to season a person, is the holiness of God that is contained in the power of the covenant of salt, which God made with man and baptism in the Holy Spirit, thus filling him with the Holy Spirit. In his time, Christ unveiled the conditions for accepting and entering through the narrow gates with these words, have salt in yourselves. Mark chapter 9, verse 50. To have salt in ourselves means to have in our heart the knowledge about the powers contained in the covenant of salt. To accept the kingdom of heaven in the format of the powers of the covenant of salt is to accept Christ in our heart in the Holy Spirit to accept Christ in our heart in the Holy Spirit. Only according to the covenant of blood, we'll say that these three covenants are one covenant, but 
If you think that you have made a covenant of blood, you have repented, and now Christ is in your heart, in fact, in order to accept Christ in your heart, you need for salt to do its work there. Only according to the covenant of salt, he can be accepted there. Whereas to enter into the kingdom of heaven in the form of the powers of the covenant of salt is to allow the Holy Spirit to place us in Christ. There is a difference when Christ is in us and when we are in Christ. When Christ is in us, we are responsible according to the covenant of salt to represent holiness, to represent his holiness, his interest, because he is in us. He is contained, located in us. He can't do something. We must protect his interests. But when we are in him, then he is responsible for us, according to the covenant of salt, to defend us. And it can't be that a person has accepted Christ, but has not been placed in Christ, or he was placed in Christ, but did not have Christ in him. Because the covenant of salt is the mutual agreement. He makes one side and the other side fulfill their obligations. According to the covenant of salt, I accept Christ, he places me in him. The knowledge of every covenant occurs through the thoughts that grasp and dwell in our heart and mind in the format of a statute that regulates the purpose and the manner of every work of every covenant. As a general rule, a person meditates over only those things that grasp his imagination, worry him, or even things that bring him to uneasiness, fear, and trembling. And therefore, certain thoughts just like that by themselves cannot abide in the heart and mind of a person unless this person opens the door for them in his heart and his mind. As soon as thoughts enter a person's heart, they immediately captivate him and he becomes their captive. The thoughts that capture the heart and mind of a person transform this person into their image. Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. False thoughts, like foxes, may be present in our environment. But in the covenant of salt, it is our responsibility to prevent them from digging holes in our hearts for their habitation. False thoughts like birds can fly and sometimes land in the branches of the tree of our heart. But in the covenant of salt, it is our responsibility to prevent them from nesting in these branches. Regarding this, Jesus gave an exhaustive and concrete command of how to behave when these birds or these foxes come from those near us and perhaps even our relatives. Luke 9.57-62 Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me, because he did not have uh, holes for foxes or nests for birds. But the other one said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He had shown here that the enemies of a person are from his household. 
The covenant of Saul means exit out of your nation, your household. It says to leave your sinful nature. According to the words noted above, the more a person is enlightened regarding the authority of the covenant of Saul as well as his duties that are part of his side of the contract, the more he will be seasoned and saturated with the salt of the covenant. Fifth, covenant of salt contains the promises of royal authority that in the covenant of salt are given to a person forever. Second Chronicles chapter 13 verse 5. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? He gave the kingdom to David and his sons according to the covenant of salt. We must know that the dignity of a king that, can be, that we can be clothed in is given to a person on one condition. People say, I'm a king, I'm a priest, but this is given according to the covenant of salt. You are king and priest if you know the powers that are contained in the covenant of salt and you abide in it. He must also know how to act as a king, which is all detailed in the covenant of salt. And when a lion and bear come to take a lamb out of the flock of the father, which represents an image of the salt of the covenant, he protects the lamb and takes it. And if the enemy causes him trouble, then by the power of the covenant of salt, he kills this animal. Um, this, remember, David, the representation of our thinking. He protects the lamb out of the flock, our thinking. Why people, why do people, having accepted the conditions of the covenant, do not hold on to it? They say, oh, what, there's, no, there's only one Arkadi? We need to understand that in each church, there's only in each church there's one delegated authority. Of course, he's not the only one on the whole earth. But you must know where you have tied yourself to, what church you are part of. So what did he do if a lion and bear come to steal this, this lamb of the flock, this clean thought, this, this salt? He destroys, kills this kind of animal. Let's read this kind of scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 to 37. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. The Philistine is an uncircumcised thought. And everyone had ran from this horrific thought or idea because it was uncircumcised and it represented some kind of theory that the Philistines do not live on the Canaan land. And he represents the might of uncircumcised thinking. And take a look at what David says. 
I will fight. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And we know he came out victorious. If you'll be in the covenant of salt, you will be victorious against any bear and any lion. This place of scripture sheds light to the fact that no one who comes to God can, with his own abilities, tend the thoughts of the Father according to the requirements of divine holiness if he does not enter into a covenant of salt with God in baptism in the Holy Spirit and does not dwell in this covenant. I will remind you that the sheep of the Father is pure thinking, which we receive through the preached word of about the kingdom of heaven that we can keep protected only when we tend to it on the field that is called the covenant of salt. Because, again, I repeat, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And let us not forget that the field of the covenant of salt can only be a congregation in which the teaching about the kingdom of heaven contained in the reading teaching of Jesus Christ is preached. Considering that our time has come to an end, we will pray together and all of those who desire to, to challenge the lion and the bear that perhaps scare you right now, these uncircumcised thoughts, these fears, this virus, Doctors who say you have cancer something, you can say, I don't have it because on the cross, on the cross of Golgotha was placed my illness and I am given health. I'm going to continue to look upon my healing. I'm going to continue to look upon my freedom from sin. I'm going to continue to look at my freedom. I'm not going to be afraid. There are rumors Rumors of wars, but Christ says, incline your, your ear, the day, the day of your deliverance is near. Let us pray, and I will pray with you, and I ask you to believe that God is perfect in his words. He has enough power to change your circumstance to fulfill his covenant, to deliver you from fear, to deliver you from illness, to deliver you from the dependence on sin, to bring you out to light. Your, hand, your hands raised, your eyes closed. All this is a sign that you are ready to receive from God that which he desires to give to you. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my fears, with my shame, with my pain, with my dependence, I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, protect me, 
Cover me with yourself. Justify me. I accept your word, your seed, my righteousness as a gift of grace for redemption in Christ Jesus. I accept your covenant of salt. I step into it. May I be protected by your salt, by your Holy Spirit. May the blessings, may your blessings come upon me and upon my descendants. It may be fulfilled upon me. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, I want to proclaim that according to the word of God, you are washed, you are cleansed, you are sanctified. May the Lord bless you according to his word. May he hear you. May he turn his holy countenance upon you and have mercy upon you. May he give peace to your heart. May he fulfill all your supplications. May the, may the illness in you be cursed. May all fears step away from you. May every dependency step away from you. And may the blessing of the Lord God come upon you and upon your descendants. And may they be fulfilled upon you. Amen. And now, all together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Могущему же соблюсти нас от падения и поставить пред славою Своему